Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Phil Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. Well, God is so good. <laughs> Amen. We're fighting for time this morning, and uh, we're cramming a lot of lot of stuff in. A lot of stuff in, but we'll get there. Thanks, team. Give it up for these guys. They do so well. All right, you may take a seat. God bless you. Uh, God is so good. We'd love to have more worship and more, and you know, the offering is at the end. We've just been told that. Jilly just did a brilliant job of bringing us this far. And yes, uh, many of us are on a 21-day fast and prayer for the nation, for the nations. I'm going to crunch um, my message, uh, unfortunately, um, but isn't God awesome? Who's a Bible believer? You want some Bible? I've got to get some Bible to you. And we're not there yet. I've got to convince you more so of why you would even come to church. And I've got to convince you why you would give to God through the church. And I've got to, I've got to shunt you. I've got to convince you that that with God, all things are possible. Can I hear an amen? amen. I'm going to launch straight into it. Um, I, I saw something during the week on a YouTube channel, a great ministry about the last days. What do you want me to do? I'm open. I'm flexible. I'll go around the mountain or over it or through it. All right. I saw a, a video and it was quite lengthy. Um, and it was about a young Jewish uh, lad in Israel, uh, a Jewish secular lad that um, had... Well, he died for 15 minutes, and he went to he went to heaven. And his father was very annoyed because he kept on mentioning the name in his own Jewish uh, way, mentioning the name Jesus. And his dad tried to shut him down, but then a rabbi found out about his experience. So this boy has died for 15 minutes. I don't know how he's come back, you know, with brain cells dying, and but he's come back. And he's given such an account of the last day scenario, which I just don't even want to touch on at the moment, that the prophetic world, uh, the prophetic um, council in the world are saying, this is outstanding. He could not have gotten this from eating too much pizza or, or just some vain imagination. He obviously knows the Bible. He does not know the Bible. 
is a secular Jewish 15-year-old young man that died, has had an encounter with heaven. And I'll I'll give you some sound bites because I think it's a long long, um, testimony, but can't even go there. But I'll give you a two-minute sound bite of what he basically says because I think it will help you understand the bigger picture. We've just finished uh, reading the Bible in 30 days. What was the point of it? The point of it was uh, we did it with other ministers. We were challenged at the beginning of the year. The point of it was this, to see the big picture of what God is doing and what God has done. And so we did. We read the Bible. Ever done that, Cam? It's revolutionary. I've had an encounter with God again. And so, um, and so instead of studying the leaves of the tree, we studied, we looked at the whole tree. We looked at the whole picture, and it was amazing. And so this is what I want to do for you right now. I, I, want, to, I want to shatter some mindsets and propose to you why you should do as much as you can while you're on planet Earth as you can in view of the reason why you're here, sent on purpose to do that which God has called you to do. So let's listen to this account of this young lad. I have to read it, but can we have that image? Jewish, 15-year-old lad, died for 15 minutes. He said, in a couple of minutes, this is when you go to heaven, you can understand everything. He saw earth from above a genuine vision. He said he went on a journey showing you. He said he went, he was show, he was given a, he was shown a journey. He was taken on a journey showing you that there was heaven and he called it a garden and that there was indeed a hell. And he talked about rewards. And this is what got me out of all that he said, because he mainly talked about the last day's showdown and everything that that represents. And he talked about rewards, and he said there were rewards for obeying. This is what he, he got from his experience in heaven. He said there were rewards for obeying the commands that were, that were judgments, but there were judgments pronounced for the slightest thing done wrong. He said it was so embarrassing. He said that they tell everything. They go from start to finish, from the start of your life to the very end, and they do it in seconds, and it's extremely humiliating. He said, the little thing you thought was not a big deal is a big deal in heaven. But then when you obey the word of God, even though it seems so little to you, they make such a huge deal about it, it's such a big deal that you obeyed God, even the small things. Like the wrong things, uh, like, like the wrong change being returned to the shopkeeper. Everything you give, your attitudes, are huge rewards in heaven. The rabbis were very happy with the strictness. Because <laughs> the, they love that strict following the law stuff. He said, the moment I saw heaven, this is when he arrived in heaven, I said, I want to stay here. 
But when he was shown the other side, he decided, I want to go back down to obey more of God's commands. Realizing he can earn more rewards and reach a higher level. So why would I, he says, so why would I want to stay here and miss out on gaining more rewards? I would rather go back down and they sent me back down. The Jewish understanding is different. The commentator of this show, he says, the Jewish understanding is different to a Christian's. Christians, he says, are very nebulous about heaven. But the young Jewish boy realized that there was an economy and incentives living for God and doing anything for God is going to put me in a better economic position in heaven. He says, I want to invest and keep investing in my life. I'll have eternal rewards. Say eternal rewards. So this little boy goes to heaven and he, he says straight up, Ah, I want to stay in heaven. But then he says, well, I, I've seen that there's an economy up here that you are duly rewarded for your good works. Actually, I don't want to stay in heaven. I want to go back and do as much as I can for the good of God, for the reason I was born, so that when I land back up here again, I can be crowned. I can be rewarded. I can be blessed. And so I thought that was interesting, yeah. So I'm going to crunch something very quick. And um, of course, it's Vision Sunday. And I would usually uh, speak and preach on the power and the principles of vision. But I'm not going to do that. You can check the podcast of the last year's version of that. But I did want to make some statements and just explore some of the narrative of why vision and why you should buy into it, why you should invest in it. If that boy was in the house, he'd go, he would say, please, tell me more, tell me more. Uh, I, I'm looking for things to invest in. I'm looking for things to engage in, to prove my worth of living on the planet, to show God that I'm faithful. I had this statement, you were born to leave a footprint. You were born to leave a footprint. Everybody's footprint, that's my footprint at Diamond Head, prayer walk number. Um, everyone has an indelible, everyone has a unique footprint, do they not? That you walk out across the face of the earth. That footprint should be lasting. It should leave a legacy. Amen? Is anyone in the house this morning? You want to leave a legacy. Is that right, Evan? So your obedience will literally change lives. That's the next statement. Your obedience will literally change lives. William Booth says it like this, the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. So our mission this morning, if you choose to accept it, is to realize the vision that God's given you for your personal life, but for your family life called church. Because you have a personal vision of health, family, career, all that stuff is great, but then 
the family of God that God places you in, there's a corporate vision, a family vision that that is something that you can buy into also. Uh, it's, a, it's a vision, it's a mission, it's a culture, it's all that. And we've explained that. Pastor Phil talked about the culture, the mission. We've explained that through the videos. The vision is what we see. So 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, it's my job. Paul says, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom, into his plans, and into his glory. What's his glory? His glory is this, making him famous. Who wants to make Jesus famous? In the community, in the workplace, in the world. Making Jesus famous is giving him glory. Can I hear an amen? I need some help this morning. God has a very special purpose for you in 2019 in building God's church. Is that good news? You, little old you, and I'll prove it in a moment. What you do now can determine what God does for you in 2019. Put God first and you'll experience all the blessings of God in your life in 2019. Is that true? Putting God first. So this is our game plan. I got this saying and I've never used it before in the house of God in all my 23 years of preaching through the life of this church. All for one and one for all. Who said that? Three musketeers? All for one, one for all. I said, well, what does that mean? It means nobody is left behind. It means brotherhood, community, pulling together, partnering with each other to the glory of God. And I had this thought, I had this thought, the more we understand God's glorious plan for the church, I'll have my water if I could, thank you. And the more we are involved in the spiritual process, I said the spiritual growth, the spiritual growth in your life and in the life of the church and in the life of the people around your life that you are teaching and showing the way, the more you're involved with that, the more you realize what God's assignment is for your life. And then I read this, how God defines greatness in the church. Another amazing man of God since passed away, but amazing. And he says, the great mystery, the church, and Paul talks about the great mystery, the church. And he says, the church is under fire. Well, it's even under fire from within. People not committing, people not serving, people, you know, antagonistic or speaking against or pushing back on what God is doing in the church, let alone what's happening outside the church. The church is under fire. And one of the ways the church is under fire, I have to be honest, is economically. There's so many lies out there. Oh, the church is only fill in the blank. Oh, the church only wants your fill in the blank. And if we allow ourselves to go down that road of deception and end up in heaven and have to give an account for a life and say, well, honestly, I believe, I believe what they were saying. I believe what the crowd was saying. But we don't believe the crowd. 
We believe the Word of God. We believe what Jesus says. And we believe what our conscience says. The Bible says He's going to take out the stony heart and put a heart of flesh in and write it on the tablet of your heart. Most of us, most of us give because we are convinced in our heart to support the church and to give generously. We don't give because we have to by law. It's not a law. It's a God-given privilege to be able to give. Amen? And when we give, we are becoming more like Christ and more godly in our attitude, in our life. That was a free one. For God's church was in his mind before he created the world. Ah, Ephesians 1.4, for he chose us in him. I'm going, ah, because my time. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, blameless in his sight. So you've been chosen before even the world was sent spinning to come here to live within the parameters of time. God sent, God sent you from eternity, put you in this, 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 ah, this thing called time. And he trusts you to use time, to use your life, to use your resource and the giftedness within you. And he's, he's, they're looking down. The crowd of witnesses are looking down upon us saying, come on, trust God, believe God. You can believe that you can be useful in 2019 to carry out his divine plan within the framework of time. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us with his blood and to forgive us our sins. Ephesians 1.7 says, that's why we're going to teach on Ephesians. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Revelations 19.7, after we've lived our life, it says that we'll be caught up and there will be a wedding lamb. Uh, there will be a, a wedding of the lamb. Revelations 19.7. It says all the believers will be caught up. We'll be sitting there. It'll be glorious. It'll be fun. It'll be party time. And we'll be celebrating all that happened on planet Earth and all that happened in your life, Joshua, and my life. And we'll be celebrating and we'll be looking back on our life and looking back on the stewardship of what we did with our time, our talent, our treasure. And we'll be celebrating with Jesus See, eternity is a very long time. This earth, as my 91-year-old dad said, the time on this earth, he said to me, one of his last statements he made to me, he said, it went so quick. It went so quick. We have a limited amount of time for our eyes to be open to God's greatness to God's plans for our life. Whew. Ephesians 2.10 says, he says this about our time in the here and now. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared. Hang on, hang on, hang on. What's this saying? For we are God's handiwork. And another work, another version says workmanship. We are his workmanship. When you look at a baby, it's this precious handiwork, workmanship of God the Creator 
you are that person. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good. Did I say good works? Did, is, is that up to do good works? Exactly what we portrayed up there. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which reflects the nature, the character, the righteousness of Jesus. We're hoping our minds are renewed. Romans 12, 2, now I've got to scoot through and we become more like Jesus. We get rid of the flesh nature, the stinginess, the selfishness, the bitterness, all that stuff that affects our relationships in our life. And then Gene Gent says, who's this man I'm, I'm referring to when he talks about the mystery of the church. And he talks about five ways you can judge the church, but two of them, I'll only mention two. When measuring the church, which, which we must, he says, when measuring a church, we must measure functions, not forms. Not just the, the building, not just, the, not just us standing there and, and even, but, but it's, it's like exactly what Julie said. It's, it's a form, not, not, not putting all our emphasis on the form of godliness, but then denying the function and the power therein. Amen? The power of prayer, the power of giving, the power of serving is therein. I can do this all day, and it looks awesome. It has a form of godliness. Jesus was, was always criticizing the Pharisees because they were giving in public. They were praying in public. Oh, they were strutting around in public with their gowns and, oh, their eloquence. And, but here's the widow, and he says, this woman has given more than anyone, even more than the Pharisees. She's given all that she had. Jesus looks at the heart. God always looks at the heart. So the second one was, when measuring a church, we must evaluate the degree which true disciples in the church are functioning as a family. Now, this is the kicker. This is it. I, I, I just got to go there. I just got to just get this thing. When we did the baptisms, I noticed a scripture that we were baptized, not aliens and strangers anymore. It says in Ephesians, I think, but we're apt to actually baptized into Christ. We had the baptismal pool here. And then I found this scripture that we're baptized out of, you know, being lonely, isolated, strangers, aliens. We're baptized into Christ, but we're baptized into the household, into the family. And I know that's a struggle for most of us. It's a struggle enough to, to have your own family hanging tough through this world. And it's a struggle, let's be honest, to be the church. But there is a way. Let me go back to Genesis and in the beginning, okay, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in unity, in love with each other. We're born, we're made in His image we're made in His image, representing community, fellowship. And that is hopefully what we have on the inside of us. And that's hopefully what we're representing to the world. Did that make sense? That's what we want to be represented. That we are as one, that we're in unity, that we're a family, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you know the story in the beginning, sin marred that relationship. Adam and Eve were rocking they were loving each other. It was all awesome. It was great. It was fantastic. Sin entered, and then they started, ah, oh, no, it was her. It was him. It was, and, and then they're ducking and weaving from God. 
sin entered the, the equation. And of course, God had a wonderful plan of restoration. Who can say amen to that? In the fullness of time, Jesus came. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Praise God, John 1.14. And you know the story. Jesus died for our sins, shed His blood, and we've been forgiven of all our sin. Praise God. And that, that allows us ultimately to be family, to be able to love each other, love yourself even, but to love each other and to become that family that you should be at home, to become that marriage that you should be in your private life, in your public life, to be the church that God's called you to be. Amen? Ephesians 4.3 says, Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And Stanley J. Uh, Krantz, he's another th theologian, I guess, he says it like this. And the question is, how do we become this united church? And he says it like this. The Holy Spirit is the one who trans transforms us from a collection of individuals into fellowshipping people in conversion. He draws us out of isolation, alienation. In doing so, he knits us together as one people. Indeed, there arises amongst us a oneness, which is nothing less than the unity of himself, Jesus. It's possible. In the anointing, it's actually possible that we can do the Ephesians 4.14, 4.15 and 16. Every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part, as each part does its work. And Ephesians 2.21 says, In Him the whole building, the whole C3 Tugra building, the church, the church people is joining together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Lord, open my eyes to see. Open my eyes to see the possibility of being the church. Help me understand the nature of your church and its worth to humanity. 1 Timothy 3.15, if I am delayed, Paul says, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. There's that word, household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. That brings us to vision. This is what I believe. If you don't see, this is what I believe. Listen to me. This is what I believe. If you don't see the redemptive value of the church, you will not be encouraged and you will not be impassioned to be a vision builder, meaning to help build that church. If you don't see the redemptive value of seeing people saved, healed, set free, you're just going to, it's nice, I like going there, it's a nice additive to my life. They're nice people. I'm not sure what they're ultimately doing. You've got to realize it. This couple here are here 
two weeks in a row now. I hope it's all right to say that you're here. This could be a last chance to allow your marriage to be what it should be in God. You're banking on that you'll find something here in this house that'll prove to you why why you even got married in the first place and why then is it worth fighting for your marriage, but why is it worth coming to church, being the church, and then living out your days with the gift that's within you, with all that you are for Him. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you will find it in this house, that you will find traction, which I didn't have on the beach four weeks ago when I got bogged in my Ford Ranger, spinning the wheels. And you know what, for a man, I don't know about a woman, but the worst thing in life is losing traction. Who's like that? Any men in the house, real men? It's, doesn't matter how big your motor is, doesn't matter how much your car costs, doesn't matter how many gears you go through, you're just stuck in there. Everyone on the beach is looking at you, going, look at him. Why did he even go on the beach? What an idiot. Lucky he had some friends. Not fair weather friends, good friends that knew how to get out of such a situation. Now listen to me. Here it is. I, I, Proverbs 9, 29, 18. I'm trying to crunch this. I'm nearly there. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Meaning where there is no redemptive vision for your life and for the church, you will just live your life, whatever, whatever. You'll just stroll in here, oh, yeah, whatever, give me a cappuccino. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it was great this morning, loved it, awesome. No, you're here because God appointed you here by, by divine reason. You're here because you've got gifts and talents in you. God's, God's got a... God's got something in you. Do you know, do you know the, the talent of one, two, and five? The guy was given five, made five more. The guy was given two talents. And, um, he made two more. Oh, he's getting well done, good and faithful servant. What about you, the one talent guy? How, how did you go? I, I, I know you're a bit shy. I, I know, I know you, you didn't get a lot. But, uh, you know, but, but how did you go? I, I, knew, I know you thought the economy was hard. I, 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 knew, I knew you thought that you couldn't make ends meet and feed your family. And, but, but how did you go? And, and the story goes like this. He said to the master, whose money it was at the start of the parable, it says, and the master gave them that money. It was his. So that's the first thing. The money belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. Can I, can I be honest with you? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It all belongs to Him. Your life, your, your giftedness, your talent. Now, He buried it. He buried that one talent in the dust, in the, in, in the dust of humanity, in the carnality of life. He buried it. He said, man, I can't use that. What's he thinking? That's all I got. 
That's all I got. That's all he's given me. And he says, I knew you that you were a tough man. Basically saying, Jesus, I knew you were tough on these matters. Expecting me to come out and be a contributor and be a vision builder and be a public speaker. I've got a little voice. I buried that. You want to use my three chords? I only know three chords. I don't know. I don't know 120 chords like Doug. I can't use. I only know three chords. I'm going to bury that like I did until I had an encounter with God. And I used my three chords in church in 1986 for the first time in the kids' church. And I went, hey, those three chords, God got on that. God used those three chords. Yeah, I had that buried. Some people bury their talent, their gifts. Yeah, but I, uh, man, I was going to make coffee. I'm not really good at it. We need more baristas. We need more people that can help. We, I, I, I've only got $30 a week tithe. Surely with a large budget like C3 Tugra, surely you couldn't use that. What happened with Jesus and the fishes and the loaves? Just, just, just trust God. Let's, let's have that. Put that there on the altar. Put that there. Man, now we're paying off an $8,300 mortgage a month through Vision Builders. Now, now, now we, 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 we have a budget of 5000 a week in running the, the church because people, like the little boy, are giving their fish and loaves because they want to be, at the end of the day, their conscience, they're part of the household. When I first started earning money, I, I have to be honest, this is embarrassing. In 1976, I began my job, psych nursing, Parramatta Psychiatric Center. And in 1976, $150 a week was a lot of money, Shane. And they would pay you cash. Pick up your pay slip. I have all these red backs. What's a red back? A $20 note. $120. pair of Levi's back then were worth $30. Man, how many pairs of Levi's, Josh, could I buy with $150? I had this money, and I was enthralled by it. It's my money. I earned it. I went to work. I got up at 5 o'clock, started work at 6, and finished at 6, 12-hour days. I kept my money in my drawer in my bedroom. My dad didn't teach me about paying rent. He just didn't. He said, love you, son. Great to see you working. What's it feel like to be earning your own money? I said, great. It's my money too. My dad did the wrong thing. My mom, who was a housewife, stuck at home all the time getting by on a child pensions thing that she'd just hunger for every two months or something. She eventually came up to me two months after I started working and she said sheepishly, do you mind if... I have some board, just $20. And I, I remember the indignation that rose up in me. I, remember, I don't know what I said. I, I think if, when I get to heaven, when they play it, I know I'm going to be embarrassed. I could have went, I could have did the grimace. I could have weathered it, said, that's my mum, she's asking, give it, give it, give it, come on. 
Give it. All right, just 20. That's it. And three weeks went by. She said again, sheepishly said, do you know what? Bit short. Can, can I have another one of those 20s? In the end, I said to her, somehow, I don't know what happened to me. I think I must have been on drugs. It was the 70s. I said to her, look, whatever you need, take it. See, this is a household. We, the people, provide for this household. The givers. The people that are really part of this household. Father God, I pray that this year, as we get our tithes and offerings together, and I wish I could have expanded on the message. We have an FPOS machine at the back there. Father, open our eyes. We know who you are, God. We know all things are possible through you. Our testimony is, Lord God, 23 years ago when we looked at this land, we said, who are we, God, that we should be able to acquire, purchase? But a visionary knows who God is, how magnificent he is, and what he can do through anyone. And that's why I was so bold to stand up in front of the people of God, a much smaller church back then. And a visionary knows the potential of each person with whom he or she speaks is far greater than what they have yet lived up to. And a visionary knows the resources that surround the average person that the average person does not see. There's resources all around you, people. If God can get it through you, He'll get it to you. But if He can't get it through you, it could be very, very skimpy. The Bible says prophetically, Daniel eleven thirty two. Those who know their God shall be strong and do mighty exploits. Lord, give us faith. Give us courage. Give us vision. These are the five declarations I want to declare over the house of God. In moving forward in 2019, before we decide to, maybe you've been part of this church and you now you know it's your church and you love this church. Maybe you want to become part of the household and begin to give your tithe. Maybe you're saying, this church is really my family. I really shouldn't be holding back with holding. I should be helping with the upkeep, with the maintenance, with the vision, with the culture, with the mission. Father, stir me in my spirit. Stir me up in my most holy faith to believe that you sent me to this earth for a reason, for a season for a dispensation of time. In my living, Lord, I want to give you glory and I want to do your bidding. Help me, Lord, break off the lies of the enemy, of fear. That one talent person, what was wrong with him? Why did he bury his talent, his gift, his tithe, his offering? Why did he bury it? He had fear and poor beliefs, which led to passivity. He was stuck Passivity is a trait of lacking enthusiasm for or interest in things generally. It manifests it in spiritlessness, numbness, apathy, indifference. Generosity pleases God because generous people turn up 
show up practically, financially, spiritually, to help, to empower, to bring a solution, and to change things. Generosity pleases God. Here are five declarations to finish off what I am saying, which is a condensed version of the message that I had. Before we take up the tithes and offerings, you can start to begin to fill out the... Maybe this is your first time you're giving your tithe. Uh, on the screen, and little, there's little cards, is there not? Help me, Kay. Is there little cards that give the... Yes, you can go online. The best way to do it is online. That keeps Kay happy. She's doing the budget. She's not second-guessing. We had to work for the doll guys here this week. Guess what happened? It was so hot. And guess what they did? Nothing. They sat under the church. They were fair-weathered friends, Matt. Say happy birthday to Matt, Joshua's father in the house today. He's not a fair-weather friend. He's a real man. Amen, buddy. I could sympathize with them too because I was ducking and weaving for air conditioning wherever I could find it. Who can say Amen. My vision, with eyes that see, that believe God is limitless, not a slice of pie, I believe we can have air conditioning one day. If we all get with it, if we all give, we've figured we can have more than enough. We won't tell you some of the sums we've done, but we believe that the economy should be double in the house of God double. And that's normal church life. It's the 80-20 principle. 80 just hang, freeload. 20, 20 do all the work, give all the finances. That's not us. That is not us. Reverse that. That's us. But we want to get the, the other 20. We want to be a household. We don't want to stuff our redbacks in the drawer and say, they're mine. They're all mine. This is God's household. This is the way to move forward because when you move forward, the seas open. The Red Sea opens. Five declarations. They go like this. You ready? Here we go. One, adaptability. I will thr thrive in 2019. I will thrive no matter what happens. I'm adaptable. I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to give my offerings. I'm going to support Garth and Jamie. I'm going to support C3 Cares. I'm going to be a vision builder no matter what happens. I'm adaptable too. Hope. I believe the future will be better than the present, and I have the power to help make it so. You have the power. Three, faith. I am thankful that God's promises and my past prayers, I love this, are working for my family my family's lives, my circumstances, and my church and my nation. Amen. Five long, no, four, four, forgiveness. My intentional forgiveness creates well-being for others and for me. And five, long-term thinking, this is the kicker, long-term thinking, I said long-term thinking, vision, eyes that look a common Eyes that see are rare. Quote, Helen Keller. Anyone can look. 
little uh, Ben came around to fix my computer yesterday. I got little Theodore. Uh, Theodore is it five, four years old. I put him on my back veranda, and you can see from my back veranda over the river, you can see this church. And I got the little four-year-old boy up on the on the veranda. I stood him up like that, and he wiggled, wiggled a little bit. I said, "Now, can you see the river? I can see the river. Can you see the cows?" He, no, not really. Well, beyond the cows was the church. I said, can you see the church? He said, I can't see the church. He couldn't even see the cows. I was surprised. But that's what some people are like. They can't see the redemptive work of the church and they can't see their destiny in God. I just can't see it, Pastor Phil. Long-term thinking, five. My beliefs and choices are leaving a positive legacy for generations to come. Proverbs 11, 25, 24, 25 says, there is, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right. But it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered. Father, as we give, as we're generous, bless us. Bless our lives spiritually, a harvest of righteousness. Lord, bless us as we give our tithe, as we give our offerings, as we give unto you every worthy cause that we're connected to. Lord, let it refresh us. Let it water us on a hot day. Refresh us. Let the river flow. Let the anointing flow upon us. Revive us, God, as we give this morning to the house of God. And can I just say to you, please, work it out with your partner. Is this our household? Work it out with your partner. Is this our family? Is this how the Baptists talk? The Baptists talk like this, Matt? Not quiet. Why are they laughing at me? Is this, is this how the Baptists talk like, like I'm talking? No. Love your neighbor. Why? Because they've got a land bank. They're all cashed up. Actually, our mortgage is from the Baptist church. We thank you and salute you. Amen. All the interest goes to the good work the Baptists do. So we love the Baptists. Give it up for the Baptist church. Not the NAB like it did for the seven years when I was 10 stories up in the Sydney NAB building when I was getting grilled when we were late for a payment. So when are you going to pay? Who are these people? These people that you call your constituents. They're godly people. Well, where's their money? I had six of these guys surrounding me. The church is under fire financially, I felt. I said, to the, I said to the NAB manager, he says, why do your tithes go down around Christmas? I said, well, people want to put a good Christmas on. They've got family, a lot of Christmas presents to buy. He says, but isn't there prophet Jesus? I said, yes, that's right. And wouldn't that be the opportune time to give around Christmas? I think he was having a dig at me, but he had all sincerity over his face. He says, why? Why does your tithe? And it happens through all the churches tithes go down got to put on a good Christmas four kids this guy's tithe does not budge it's relentless committed faithful so father this morning we give unto you not as fair weather friends but as a household as a family we give unto you Lord I've spoken openly but I feel like I've spoken like a father to the family I feel like I've spoken like my father should have spoke to me but didn't I feel like I've spoken like a grandfather speaking to fathers in the house, the next generation of fathers. And I felt I've spoken 
most boldly for the sake of that day when you go to be with Jesus and you give an account for your life and say, what did you do in belonging to the church? What did you do in coming along to C3 Tugra? What did you give? How did you support? Where was your traction? And on that day, I hope it's a great day of great reward in Jesus' name. And the saints say, and the saints say, amen. Oh, man. Amen. Who can say amen? Who's happy to give? Who's happy they are giving? And when I heard that testimony, I'm thanking, I'm thanking God that I'm a steward of Him. Ushers, you may come. Hosts, you may come. The FPOS machine is open at the back. Get your phones out. If you're online right now, please let this music just play underneath us. Sorry we've gone so long. We don't usually go this long, 11 o'clock, but this is the business end. Unless we get this, we're not going anywhere. We're dead in the water. We've got to get this stewardship happening. So please visit us. Forgive me. People at the back, forgive me. It's all right. We preach the gospel. Next week, we're going to be all good preaching a wonderful, timely gospel. Who enjoyed that vision that boy had? Was that, was that amazing? Whew. Who's happy to be along to C3 Tugra? Who's happy to give? Please, those ones who have let their giving go, thinking, now, listen to me. Listen to me, listen to me. In the Western world, what we think is that everything is supplied. The roads, the, the fuel, the gas, the water. It just comes. I'm loving this place. But it didn't just come. And it doesn't come freely. This house just doesn't operate by the government. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut still haven't returned our letters of sponsorship. We had to go back to the godly principle of tithing and offering, basically, and tell you simply that you, you are blessed to be a blessing. And those people that are gainfully employed, praise God, you, people that need employment, just whatever you've got, just do it according to your heart, give, not reluctantly, not grudgingly, because, because whatever reason but give because that's where your faith is. I'll start with that, Lord. Help me begin. As the trickle increases, you will become a river of blessing. Let's all stand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Father in heaven, I bless every single one of us to go forward. As we decide to go forward, let the Red Sea open. Let that, Lord, release us from stuckness. Release us from being stuck. Lord, I want to be released from being stuck in 20. 19. I want the ceiling removed. I want the ceiling removed. I want the blessings that are that is stored up in heaven for my family, for my children. I want the healing. I want the healing. I, I, I want that breakthrough in my healing. I, I, I want the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chasing me down, overtaking me, the Bible says. I want the anointing on my life to be generous. Grace me with giving. Grace me to smile. Grace me to engage people with the gospel. Grace me to be a giver. Grace me to care for others, to feed the poor. Grace me an anointing. Lift your hands up right now. Father in heaven, give me.
me a fresh start in my stewardship for the sake of your church, for the sake of the kingdom. Give me a fresh anointing to break out of selfishness, to break out of that flesh nature and to dig up that talent out of the ground, to dig it up out of the carnality of life, to dig it up out of the dust of humanity and to give it to you, God, because it all belongs unto you. Jesus, we come against that spirit of fear in the house that says there's not enough. We can't afford not to give. God is not a debtor to any man. That which you give through prayer, that which you give through a smile, that which you give through a good testimony, that which you give through a spoken word, that which you give to help others, it shall return to you the measure you use. It shall come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, runneth over. It will be measured into your lap. It will be measured into your account. And it will come back to you a thousand times. Businesses, I bless you. Andrew Flaxman, five chemists for sale. I bless you in the breakthrough anointing. This year, you'll sell at least three chemists three chemists this year in Jesus' name because I know your faithfulness and I know that you've drawn a, land, a line in the sand and said, God, God is my resource. God is my provider. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. He's given us all love, power, and sound mind. So I come against fear and I rebuke it off your life. I declare it thus said, and the saints say, and the saints say, and the saints say. There's no need to hide anymore. We are a light on a hill. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.